Hello and welcome into the Feels Like 45 podcast. I'm Cade Webb, and as always, I am joined by Dustin Ragusa. Dustin, it's good to be back with you this week, sir. Thanks for holding the fort down last week. That's what I was going to say. Missed you last week. Glad you're back. Uh, had a buddy on. I think he did okay. I mean, I'm never going to have him back on, but I think he did okay. But I'm he glad did, you're back. He did great. Um, Randall, I, I've never met him in person, but after that podcast, I feel like I feel like now we go way back. I'm going to call him Randy from now on. I'm just floating that <laughs> out there to him. So uh, no, like great that. podcast. And thank you again for, for holding the fort down. But we've actually got a special guest and um, we're happy to welcome Eddie Radosevich from the franchise Oklahoma, Soonerscoop.com and the People's Choice Award. We were just talking about it off air. Oklahoma State fans love you, Eddie. So welcome to the show. We're really glad to have you. Thank you, boys. I appreciate it. And I love the Oklahoma State fans. I, I know that that can come off across a little bit of uh, condescending, but like like just kind of BS or full of it. But I always enjoyed getting up to uh, Stillwater and walking up and down the strip. It, it, it does help like going up there. And most of the circumstances have been for like Bedlam football. And, uh, you know, I, I, I don't think we have to get into how that's gone in the last couple years. But uh, besides last year. Whatever. I'm talking myself into trouble now, but yeah. I love Murphy. Easy I there. love Murphy's. I grew up on dirties back in the day when they had the, uh, when they, you could piss in the troughs in the back. So uh, I'm a big fan of Stillwater. That was really my question is what, what got you hooked? And I had a feeling it was Murphy's, but uh, no, thank you for yeah. confirming that. We actually got no, a question yeah. about that. So thank you for saying that. No, it's uh, like, it's a, it's a, just a great college town. I mean, I, I think that it kind of is self-explanatory. Like I've never been the guy though. Like I know that there's a lot of people, especially in big 12 country that like, they want to get into this idea of like Lubbock sucks. And I could see like why somebody would say that, but I've always kind of felt like it's unique. Same with like Aggieville in Manhattan. It's a, it's a unique college town. College towns are college towns and you can make kind of what you want of them when you're there. Like I've never had like the beer doesn't taste any different in, you know, still water than it does in Athens or wherever. Hey, it's, uh, yeah. It, it, I, I think they're all pretty fun. It tastes real good in Aggieville after a win. I can confirm that. So <laughs> yeah, well, that's right. Eddie and most of the OSU people that, you know, are really cool, you know, like Kate and I, exactly. some others, but mostly Kate and I, that's so right. that, that probably helps as well. No, I, I think that there is like a certain element of, uh, I do, uh, I, I, you know, when you live in the state, you have neighbors or whatever that are Oklahoma state fans. And for the most part, I think everybody gets along <laughs> and I wouldn't want, like, I, I don't know if this even wants to come up, but it's like the, the bedlam stuff with OU and OSU never playing each other or maybe never playing each other. Like, I know there's like that segment of OU fans. That's the group of, well, why would we ever want to play them? Beat them anyways. And I just like, <laughs> there's a rivalry. There's a certain rivalry sense that like, I think anybody like any OU fan works with an OSU fan. And when OU loses, you don't want to go to work the next day. And I think that, that means something like there is something, there is a certain element and vice versa for the Oklahoma state fan that doesn't want to go to work when the OU wins. So like anybody that says it's not important, uh, it's always funny. Like the person that says like Bedlam's not important or Bedlam isn't fun. Uh, they're the one that always harps on this idea that it isn't fun, which in turn kind of always makes me think and, the opposite. And they're the ones talking about it the most. It's yeah, like, exactly, oh, I thought, exactly. I thought it was, I thought it didn't matter. I thought we, I thought it wasn't a rival. All these, all the, you it's know. It's a what, healthy rivalry and that's the way it should be. That's the <laughs> right. way college sports should be. That's the way college athletics are meant to be. I try to take the opposite viewpoint. You know, I try to not talk about OU, you know, cause I'm, I'm not, a, I'm not a fan. Right. Unless I see you somewhere and we're up a little bit in a softball game or something like that. Oh, you normally <laughs> comes back, but I like to let you know that part, but never, no, never no, I understand what you said. <laughs> It'll definitely be weird not playing bedlam. That's one thing yeah. for sure. Like, like you said, the, the whole dynamics of it, the seeing people at work, seeing people in your neighborhood and, after that game, it's just not having that anymore will be odd. 
I think the the part that's going to be the most odd is just the fact that they're not, you know, I, I, I don't think that at least for me that there's been a realization that they're not going to be in the same conference uh, in, you know, however many X years, whether that be next year or in 2024 or whenever it just like, I, I don't think that that's one of those things that will set in until it really happens. And uh, you know, I, it is what it is. I, I think that Oklahoma fans are obviously excited about going to the SEC. I think that Oklahoma State fans, rightfully so, should be excited about kind of being the uh, the big boss of the Big 12. So, uh, you know, it, it will be – I don't know. It's going to be sad to see it go. I kind of hold out hope that – like, I still think that there's going to be some more dominoes that fall as far as what happens in 2025 when all those television contracts come up and realignment uh, comes back to the forefront. But, you know kind of is what it is right now eddie you don't know this but dustin loves realignment talk absolutely <laughs> loves it he he lives for it and that's that's what this podcast no it's uh it's been a running joke that uh hey, because I, of realignment it's like yeah go ahead dustin i know i know it drives i know it drives numbers i know it's <laughs> it's what everybody wants to talk about i just I'm just a, Hey, just let them fall. Let the chips fall. Yeah, and then we can right. talk about it later. That's, yeah. that's just my take. Cause I'm lazy. That's why. Yeah. To kind of, to kind of wrap up your point there, Eddie, like the way I see it, I, I think just big 12 football loses definitely some intrigue. I think Oklahoma state season feels a lot different with no OU in it. Like there's no looming doom potentially for a you know a really good Oklahoma State season to go poorly in that game which is we've seen time and time again so I I I think that's really where a lot of Oklahoma State fans optimism is rooted and it's like oh well there's not that game that loss on the schedule anymore so you know I think that's that's most of it so you know it's so interesting to me that and especially from like a national landscape or like a national perspective of like how good Oklahoma State's been over the last you know, specifically five years, but you could even go, I think the, you know, the numbers that are out there as far as like a decade back, as far as what Mike has built. And it just like, in terms of Oklahoma state, I've always looked at it as it just kind of sucks that like Oklahoma has been not just good for what Oklahoma usually is, but a historic level of good over those, those same amount of years. And it's kind of covered up just how good Mike Gundy's program has been. I think that people are starting to kind of realize that. Uh, you know, on the back end of all of this, and specifically when you go beat a Notre Dame in the Fiesta Bowl or when you, uh, you know, are a yard short of winning the Big 12 championship and things like that, it just, I don't think that people realize if they look at the, just the Big 12 as a whole or the state of Oklahoma as a whole, just how good the football's been over the last five, six, seven years when, you know, they've literally and realistically have had opportunities whether it be OU or OSU, to go win a national championship. And, you know, I, I don't think that there's too many states that can say that. Uh, that's like the super Oklahoma homerific way to look at it, but it's kind of the truth, too. Yeah, no, I, I love that. And actually, Carson Cunningham on the Pistols Firing podcast has said that for a long time, that those golden eras, like this isn't yeah. Oklahoma's golden era, but it is Oklahoma State's. And this is, as you said, a historic run for OU. And the fact that they overlap almost at, at the, they started at the same time, almost that's the unfortunate part for Oklahoma state, but they, I mean, shoot, they've made their hay uh, the way they can. And so uh, that's not why we're here though, Eddie, we're here to talk about the 2022 installment of Oklahoma football. And I'm thankful you're coming on this year uh, because I think the intrigue here is off the charts. I mean, we ended with OU for that specific reason. Yeah. It's uh, it, you know, I, I tried to explain and I, I even try to like sit back and, you know, in down moments here over the last couple of months have kind of started to think about like how weird everything's been since, you know, basically the Bedlam game. And then obviously the fallout from Lincoln Riley and then Brent Venables coming in and they're on this like certain honeymoon where, you know, not a lot of bad things have happened right now with the Oklahoma football program. They've had really good success in the portal. They've had really good success on the recruiting trail. And now it's like to the point where, okay, everything is kind of in the past and everything is like, you're starting to move towards the future with 2022. And I think that, you know, it's certainly interesting. I know that like, there's, it's so fascinating to talk about like where Oklahoma is right now. Cause I think that like the national perspective is that there's a lot of people that expected to drop off. Uh, There's a lot of people that kind of expect everything to not necessarily collapse, but especially when, 
OU makes the move to the SEC and obviously how tough that's going to be just on the field. Uh, it, 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 it's kind of fascinating. Then you look at this 2022 group where you're coming off of a season in which it's truly one of the more disappointing seasons in recent memory for Oklahoma football. And they won 11 games and they were nine and zero at one point on the back end of the schedule. Right. And it's just like, how the hell did they get there? How did they win 11 games? When, when you hear Oklahoma fans talk about like how disappointing the season was, uh, and then everything that went into the weirdness of the season, whether it be, you know, Spencer Rattler getting booted, the West Virginia game, Caleb Williams taking over in the Texas game and everything that happened at the cotton bowl. Uh, it's, it's truly fascinating. And then you add in the Brent Venables angle and, uh, kind of his staff and, and kind of retooling a defense where they have a lot of guys coming back and a lot of talent coming back on the offensive side of the football. Uh, it, it's just fascinating. And the, and then you add in the big 12 and how open everything is with the conference this year. Uh, it's, 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 it's kind of surreal in a way. Like I still like have moments where it's like, like I, ha- I was, I was at, at practice today and it's like, Grim Venables is the head coach at Oklahoma. Like this yeah. is just, it, it's, it's strange in a way. Uh, but at the same time, like I started covering the team right at the end of the Brent Venables era. So I kind of knew Brent. I was in school at the time. So like, it's still kind of like, it's, it's, it's like he's part of the family, but you really don't really know a whole lot about him because he's like that uncle. That's just never, never really been around. And he, then he, then he left for 10 years. So, um, it's fascinating. Like, I don't, I don't, it's, it's up to you guys and where you want to start. Uh, you know, the quarterback was. Yeah, that, that's kind of where I was going to go first, Eddie, with the quarterbacks. What, what is just your, I mean, your take first, but then the overall fan base, how does everybody feel about going from the Spencer Rattler, Caleb Williams era to this Dylan Gabriel, Jeff Levy era, yeah. uh, era because I mean, obviously they have the connection from UCF sure. is, is it, give me your take and then kind of maybe the, the entire fan base take from what you've seen. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that there was a, like a certain sense, obviously just because of you know, who Caleb Williams was. He was the five-star mister of everything. Uh, it turned out that he was going to be a really good quarterback the way that he kind of debuted against Texas. I think that, like, everybody kind of fell in love with the guy, especially because of the way that the program was at the time. He kind of saved the season. Uh, and then you look up, and I remember, like, coming back from San Antonio after the Alamo Bowl. I remember calling my dad and, like, on the way home after the game, the morning after, and just some of the stuff that came out in, like, the days before that. Uh, before the game is like, okay, like I, I'm pretty sure, like I'm 95% positive he's leaving I'm, or at least entering the portal to like see what his options were. And, you know, those were air quotes around it. I don't think anybody ever thought that he was going to come back. And then like, there was that massive letdown of like, God, they just let a five-star guy. That's, you know, probably one of the best quarterbacks, maybe not even probably is the best quarterback in the country, uh, you know, with the ceiling that he has, kind of let him go away and then you fall back to this idea that it's like oh well wait a second like Jeff Levy's coming and he had this guy in Dylan Gabriel who's now in the portal and all of a sudden you look up and it's like well, he's thrown for 7,000 yards or 8,000 yards he's thrown for 70 touchdowns in his career uh it, it's kind of like this like I don't know reassuring feeling like damn OU's lucky that they can fall back on this guy or you know quote unquote fall back on this guy and the way that he came in and, you know, you got to know Dylan and I wouldn't say that we've like got to know him, but just from everything that we've heard of him, the way that he ingratiated himself into the locker room, the way that he kind of, uh, you know, became friends with everybody so quickly, it reminded me a little bit of Baker. I'm not saying that he is Baker Mayfield on the field. I don't think anybody is right now, but just the way that he's the leadership that he's brought to the team that truly I think needed a quarterback with a little bit of leadership. I, you know, I think that there was a little bit of maturation process that uh, Spencer Rattler had to go through, and he did that. And I think you're seeing that now in uh, Columbia, at South Carolina with Shane Beamer. Uh, but they needed that, that leadership. And I think that, you know, he's brought something that this program had been missing in a way. Now, what does that mean on the field? I don't know. Like, I, I think it's going to be really interesting. Like, what Jeff Levy wants to do and his ability to uh, kind of get back to a North South game with the, with the, with running the football, they have some backs that they feel like can get the job done in Marcus major and Eric gray. Um, you know, they have guys that they recruited well enough. Javante Barnes and Gavin Sawchuck are going to be really good. And then, uh, they have a Juco kid, Tawi water. That's going to be really kind of intriguing. He's kind of a power back guy, but 
you know, Dylan is, he's everything that you want in a quarterback. I think that there's going to be growing pains just as far as balls that, you know, you see him throw at central Florida that are like, Oh my God. Like I, Oklahoma fans would just be some become so used to this quarterback. That's a robot almost, whether it be Kyler or whether it be, you know, uh, I mean, uh, Baker or Kyler or Jalen, they were just so damn good and they never turned the ball over. And I think that Gabriel's going to kind of go through those moments and then he's coming off of a, a pretty serious shoulder injury that, uh, you know, you look at how Jeff, Levy used Matt Corral a year ago it's really important that they keep him healthy and I, I think that that's kind of you know it it, it kind of goes I, you guys are in the same boat as far as Spencer Sanders I don't think that you want to look up and all of a sudden Gunnar Gundy's having to take a bunch of snaps and that's not no offense to Gunnar Gundy but I, I think that you know you're obviously going to be better with Spencer uh, Sanders so uh, you know they got to keep them healthy. I'm interested to see how much they use them in the run game. Uh, it felt like they used Matt Corral a ton in the run game, or, or Jeff did at uh, at Oxford a year ago. Um, it's going to be important to keep him healthy, but, you know, they have guys that can go catch the football. Hopefully a reemergence of Marvin Mims at the wide receiver position. Uh, they're going to use the tight end position probably a little bit more traditionally than they were using that H-back position under Lincoln Riley. And uh, it'll be interesting. Like, I, I, I'm slightly optimistic that this offense can be still really, really good. Now, what does that mean in the grand scheme of things as far as what Oklahoma fans are used to offensively? I think it's, it's, a, it's a major we'll see. But I do think that the offensive line's in a better spot than they were last year. And, you know, I, I think that some of Oklahoma's troubles were pretty connected to inefficiency and inability to be able to run the ball effectively and consistently. And I think that, you know, just Jerry Schmidt's, uh, you know, return to Norman has been about as well as anybody thought that it could be like, I've, I've kind of been on record as saying that, like, I think that, you know, obviously Brent Venables coming in was a big win. Jeff Levy coming in was a huge win uh, for, for Brent Venables, but maybe like that third biggest win when it comes to coaching staff was getting Jerry Schmidt back for Bill Beatenbow and the offensive line. So I know I'm right. I kind of rambled on that, but it, they all kind of like, I feel like work together in a certain way. You, you said a lot of things there. I, I want to go back to, I mean, Dylan Gabriel is probably behind Caleb Williams was the best quarterback available in the transfer portal. I think most yeah. people would agree with that. Yeah. Um, and you touched on like, they're going to be good on offense. But my biggest question for Oklahoma is they're, they are going to be good. There is zero doubt in my mind. But the drop-off from Lincoln Riley to Jeff Lebby, although it may be minor, it may feel like a lot based on exactly what you just said and what they're used to with Kyler Murray and Baker Mayfield and all of those other guys and all those historically potent offenses. And so I, that's something I'm really interested to see. OU seems to have a similar issue to Oklahoma State, and that is that, like, Dustin, I think you would probably agree with this, that we don't know really who's the number one go-to running back, Eddie. I mean, would you say that that's kind of the case in Norman as well? Yes and no. I think that Eric Gray, like if you were to ask me who the guy is, I'd say Eric Gray is. Sure. I think that's the automatic answer. Uh, Marcus Majors had a really good camp. He's just one of those guys that he's kind of, I don't want to say he couldn't get out of his own way. I think you could maybe say that back in 2021 last season because of the eligibility issues. And then he never really got his foot underneath him uh, after being, I think it was the Texas game. The week of the weekend of the Texas game is when he got eligible, but uh, you know, maybe the same could be said for Eric gray. I, I don't feel like he was ever the guy that a lot of people thought they were getting out of Tennessee. And again, I think it starts up front. The inability to run the football effectively uh, was a big bugaboo for Oklahoma a year ago. And I think that if they can get either of those guys going, it opens everybody's life up so much easier. And you guys know that you got to be able to run the football in the sport. And I think that, you know, it's almost like I want to give Eric Gray a free pass because I do think that he is extremely talented. Uh, we just never really saw him get North South a whole bunch last year. It was, they tried to get him out and, uh, you know, get him out in the flats. They tried to do different things and almost ISO him a lot. And it just never really, it never came to fruition. 
And then all of a sudden you look up and it's third and seven and incomplete pass and the punt team is running out there. So, uh, you know, I'm super interested to see what they can get out of Marcus Major. There's a lot of people that are excited about the future of the two freshman running backs. Gavin Sawchuk, the kid from Colorado, really good, uh, extremely fast, probably one of the top three fastest guys on the football team. And then uh, Javante Barnes is a guy that, you know, DeMarco Murray was able to go in and get laid out of Las Vegas. Uh, you know, obviously being from Vegas, familiar with the territory out there. And um, he's more of like your, like, he doesn't look like a running back. He's, he's like six, two, he's a big sturdy dude. And uh, you know, they were really excited about him during the spring, but I think that, you know, Eric Gray and Marcus major are going to definitely be those two guys that, uh, you know, you probably give opportunities to first. And I don't, well, I, mean, I don't want to say it like that, but they've earned those opportunities to get out there first. And, you know, I, I Marcus major is a guy that he just has never been able to get that career going. Like a lot, I think a lot of people thought he would coming out of uh, Oklahoma city Millwood. And if he can, there's a lot of running back there uh, that, that I think could, could really end up having one of those breakout seasons. Eddie, just to not to stay on the running backs too long, but you said a lot of good stuff there. One thing you mentioned was about Gray, kind of them trying to get him out in space, ISO yeah. and stuff like that. Do you think switching to Levy's more beer and shoot where he's doing more kind of inside zone as opposed to, you know, we all know Lincoln Riley loved that GT counter stretch play, trying to get him outside. Do you think that fits Gray's style more? Because I saw them do it a lot in the yeah. spring game. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that he can excel there. I think that, it was one of those things too last year. They just simply weren't strong enough up front. They just legitimately from like guard center guard just were not strong enough. And I think that, you know, Andrew Rame, they feel like could be a really good center before it's all said and done. I remember when they got him to sign coming out of Broken Arrow, uh, you know, oh, she people, came after him hard. There were people within the program that thought Andrew Rame might end up being the best center that the state of Oklahoma's produced in, you know, 10, 15 years. And that's including Creed Humphrey. And, you know, he obviously had a really good year with Kansas City this past season. So uh, I think it was a little bit of maturity with him. It's, 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 it's kind of interesting, too, that like these guys have been through such a weird college career, especially for the juniors. Uh, and, you know, I guess even more so to you that the guys that went through COVID their freshman year in 2020, uh, 2021, specifically down in Norman was just so janky in a way that like the season was just there. It was, it was weird. There was, there's no other way to say it with all the Lincoln Riley stuff and how it ended. It just, they never really kind of came together. And I think that that's why it's like everything that they went through over this past year. And you talk about like, these guys have talked about how close they are. Uh, I, I, there's almost no way that they can't be with how many galvanizing situations they've been through. Um, so like to answer your question though, like I think gray, like I'm giving them a free pass. We'll see what he can produce in the first, you know, three, four games of the year. Uh, but, you know, you listen to Jeff Levin, you listen to DeMarco Murray talk about him. They feel like he's, you know, kind of one of those guys that's a little bit of a professional. He just shows up. You know what you're going to get day in and day out. And it just never really came to fruition last year for whatever reason that may be. And, you know, I, I guess there is a part of me that kind of wants to believe that you just chalk it up as, um, you know, the offense just struggled so much in, in so many ways a year ago. Uh, maybe they, you know, a fresh start for everybody was probably the best thing. That makes sense. And Eddie, you touched on it a little bit with the offensive line. You, you know, you talked about Andrew Rame. Who are some other guys we should look out for there? I know they got the Cal transfer. Uh, Maytower. Yeah, yeah okay, uh, McCade Matower. Yeah. He's probably going to start. So like right now, I think that we were actually talking about this today because I think like Brent was going over uh, offensive lineman names and he left out a couple and it's like, where'd that guy go? <laughs> like I, he was starting on Saturday in the scrimmage. So, uh, but they, they're loaded at tackle a little bit lighter in the middle. Uh, Andrew Rame is going to probably start at center. You have Chris Murray, the UCLA transfer from a year ago. Uh, he'll be a two-year starter at, at one of the guards. And then, uh, McKay Mattower is probably going to slide in at the other side. Uh, you know, I, I, it sounds like Robert Conjol could play center. He could bump out to guard if he wanted to. And then tackles where it gets really interesting. Anton Harrison's a third year guy. He started last year. Uh, they think he has worlds of potential. It's just about being more consistent up front with him. Uh, Savion birds, a guy that they went in, got out of the DFW area, kind of the same deal. Like, he could end up being 
I, I, I think he could end up being a first round draft pick before it's all said and done. Uh, but where does he fit into this rotation right now? And I think that they want him to make that jump. Uh, it will be interesting to see if they can rely on him. He's, he's, he's bumped inside a little bit this year. Uh, I think, you know, the future is going to be at tackle. And then, you know, Jake Taylor's another kid from Vegas that is a freshman. Uh, Jacob Sexton, the kid from Deer Creek, has had their two freshmen that playing. They could play, uh, you know, early. I don't, I don't know if they could be starters by any means. Uh, and then, uh, you know, the, the other guy that's really kind of interesting that's had a really good camp so far is Tyler Guyton, uh, the kid from TCU, a massive human. He's one of those guys that, like, when you look at the offensive line, you're like, oh, my God, that guy's six seven. Uh, you guys have a, a couple of those guys, six seven, three fifteen, three twenty five, 325, um, just tough. Sounds like he could he could play uh, tackle. He could play guard. So I think they're kind of like they're they're they have a lot of depth at tackle, albeit unproven. But I think they're really excited about a bunch of those guys. And, you know, just up and down the lineup, you look at the, the offensive line, they feel like they could be really, really good. Um, you know, it, it's kind of gotten to the point though, where you hear this all the time. And I'm sure that you guys hear this in August as well. It's like, everybody feels like they're going to be good. Everybody feels like they've made a turn and, you know, specifically with Oklahoma defensively. And then all of a sudden you look up in the fourth quarter and Tulane's moving up and down the field, trying to score to win the game. So <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic. I think that there's more like, I don't want to say proven commodities on the offensive side of the football, but I think you kind of know what you're going to get. Uh, and then on the, you know, on the defensive side, on the other side, it's like, I, I think that everybody's just kind of cautiously optimistic about what they're going to be under Brent Venables. You know, Eddie, the, the last question I have about the offense is, is the wide receiver room. I think Marvin Mims, Drake Stoops, and Theo Weiss are, are big 12 names. I think if you're even a casual in this conference, you know, those, I would say all three of those have shown flashes, but it's been flashes. So yeah you know, I'm, I'm curious to know your take on them and then who's beneath them that we don't know today, but we'll know potentially, you know, in September, the whole Marvin Mims thing is just truly fascinating. Like I, I don't know what happened to the guy last year. You saw glimpses and obviously you saw stuff that he did down at the cotton bowl to win the OU Texas game. And it's like, where's this guy been all year? And then he just went missing again. He was like the boy on the milk carton. And I, you know, it, it is like, it's fascinating to me too, that like if Lincoln Riley was still here, Marvin Mims is gone. Like he was going to transfer. And I think the same could be said for a Theo Weiss, a guy that, you know, a five-star kid coming out of Allen high school that not a lot of people, uh, you know, I think remember uh, just because he's run into some just terrible, awful luck injuries and I think that he's a guy that, you know, he just needs to start producing. Like, this is kind of his put up or shut up year. Uh, you know, as far as guys that probably people don't really know a whole lot about, uh, the Bunkley Shelton kid from Arizona State's going to play a lot in the slot. He's a guy that, you know, brings some experience with him. Um, you know, I, I think uh, one of those guys that probably went a little bit under the radar when you talk about going to the transfer portal and being able to grab guys just because he's been in the thick of things, uh, you know, albeit at Arizona State, but he's still played meaningful snaps. He's been out there on a third and nine when you need to go get 10. Uh, you know, Jalil Farouk was a guy that started flashing at the end of the year, had a really good Alamo Bowl. You know, he came from the D.C. area. I think that there people were, thought that he might be a guy that ends up going out to USC to join Caleb Williams being from the Washington DC area. Uh, it was a big win for them to get him back on campus. And then you kind of start getting into, uh, you know, I, I, th I think guys that are having really good camps, but they're freshmen, Jaden Gibson, the rivals Two Fifty guy coming out of Florida that, uh, you know, Jeff Levy basically went and got him like the final week of recruiting uh, Nick Anderson, Rodney Anderson's brother, uh, big kid from Katie, really strong program, ready to play early. Uh, and, you know, believe it or not, the, the, the guy that like Oklahoma City, like people that follow high school sports around here will know is Gavin Freeman, the kid from Heritage Hall that, you know, was seemingly, uh, you know, for a, for a sake of just awful comparisons. And, you know, I, I think that everybody looks at him because he's a small white kid, Wes Welker, like he went to Heritage Hall, uh, but he had a really good summer was really impressive during seven on stuff. And I, you know, I think he's going to have an opportunity early. I don't know. Like, can he beat out an LV Bunkley Shelton? I don't know. Like, I, I don't know how that goes, but he has one thing that you can't teach. And that is world-class speed. 
And as much as they're going to want to stretch the field and throw the ball deep, he's a guy that can go get the football. And I, you know, maybe that's just me being a little bit of a homer because I like Brett and I like all those guys over at Heritage Hall. And I want to see Gavin have a really good career at Oklahoma because I love cheering for the Oklahoma City kids. But I think that's going to be kind of interesting to see how all that works out. So, you know, those are guys. And, you know, then obviously I, you said Drake, you know, Stoops. I think people know about him, Marvin, obviously, and Theo. So, um, you know, it's going to be kind of fascinating to see what that rotation is once uh, September 3rd rolls around. And then they got two tight ends, guys, that I think that are, are massively underrated. It might be the most underrated room in uh, Norman right now. Uh, for Joe John Finley and you know Braden Willis is a guy that could have probably gone pro if he wanted to uh, decided to come back he's most likely I think going to be a team captain Uh, and then they went out and got a kid in Daniel Parker that's coming in from Missouri that's a little bit more of a hand in the dirt just wants to uh, you know be that 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 old-fashioned tight end that is uh, kind of that corner edge blocker Uh, so I'm excited about both of those guys Eddie are those, is, is it going to be more of like a 12 personnel thing with those two? Or are they going to be like kind of rotating in for each other? Like, do you see them playing really good together? question? Really good question. I, I'm not terribly familiar with what Jeff did down at old miss. Cause I, I know that they had one guy that they kind of keyed on and was in the Mackey contention. I don't want to say that he was a finalist or anything, uh, but there's such different players if you will like I, I kind of imagine Braden as like more of that that passing catching tight end and kind of the same thing with the two younger guys that they have and Caden Helms and Jace Llewellyn uh, the kid out of Aledo so um, I really don't know I'm, I'm just as fascinated to see what like this thing looks like in person uh, you know I think that the one thing that we do know about what they want to do offensively is go and they want to run a ton of plays and uh, you know more of that up-tempo system that people were probably a little bit more used to when Kevin was here. Kevin Wilson was here with like Sam and those guys in 08, 09. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Well, really appreciate the offense breakdown. That was a lot of good stuff. (laughs) Let's get to the, the group you seem to be a little bit more concerned about. Can you give us just a little overview about this Brent Venables and, and my guy, Ted Roof? defense Ted Roof man all time wait we got all time bad news today all Ted Roof is an all-time I saw that dude. yeah I heard about uh, that. his son TD Roof is going to be out for the season he tours bicep uh, linebacker practice yeah. yeah linebacker coming in from Appalachian State and like I'm not going to sit here and say that like it's catastrophic uh that you lose somebody like that but I just think from a from a sense of leadership from a sense of a guy that was entering his fifth year at a at a D- division one program like you just, that's, you lose that kind of stuff. And it's never, never good. It's never a good thing to lose somebody that's going to be a contributor. Uh, defensively though, like I'm super fascinated to see what this thing is. Cause I think that Oklahoma fans for the last, you know, four or five years have talked themselves into this like August mode where it's going to be different. They're going to be good. They're going to not be like just flat out, not be embarrassing at times. And then you look up in September and it's kind of the same shit that you've seen over the last couple of years. So um, I think cautious optimism is probably the right, the right way to say it. They have a lot of talent. They have guys up front that can be really good, specifically in that front seven. I think that everybody feels like Danny Stutzman's going to make a jump. Just having Brent Venables be around. Ted Roos, a really good defensive mind. I think that everybody kind of knows that Brent's probably going to run this thing. Uh, but you know, David Awegbu is a guy that I think a lot of people kind of wonder what he was going to be a year ago when he moved to middle. He's dropped 20 pounds, had a really good spring. He sounds like one of those guys that kind of had one of those come to Jesus moments where he got away with a lot of stuff in high school and just flat out couldn't get away with that kind of stuff in division one. And when he moved to the inside linebacker position a year ago, uh, it really cost him. And I think that like when Brent came in, he had some of those one-on-one conversations with guys basically saying like i believe that you can be a really good player but you got to buy in you got to kind of meet us halfway we're going to give you the coaching i go out and lose the 20 pounds you got to go out and uh, make sure that you're eating the right things and it really sounds like he's kind of made that jump so like somebody was asking me today like who's going to be the defensive mvp and i have no idea like i think that there's i could give you five or six names that would make sense to me but i have no idea who those guys are going to be 
And it all starts up front. And that's kind of the luxury that Oklahoma State has right now is that they bring back a bunch of guys on the defensive line that, you know, Derek Mason can kind of start with. He has like a good nucleus there of guys that uh, can be difference makers up front. And Oklahoma still has the kind of the same idea, but I think that it's more of a wait and see approach for me just because I they really haven't done a whole lot of that. And Marcus Stripling's a guy that had a really good bowl game that they feel like is going to make a jump. Jeffrey Johnson's one of those guys that, uh, you know, when you talk about, you know, going out and getting a Dylan Gabriel out of the transfer portal, the equivalent of that on the defensive side of the football might be somebody like a Jeffrey Johnson, who is a captain coming in from Tulane, wreck havoc against Oklahoma's offensive line in the, uh, the, the regular in the, uh, the opener a year ago in Norman. So, uh, you know, he's kind of cut from that same cloth of, you know, he kind of realizes where his opportunity is right now. Uh, this is a resume year for him. Uh, really good kid. I think that he's going to be kind of one of those outspoken leaders on the defensive side of the football. And uh, then you start working your way through like guys that are just in kind of that level of Reggie Grimes, uh, uh, Jordan Kelly, uh, you know, they're, they're Isaiah Coe, Joshua Ellison. Those are defensive tackles that I think a lot of people don't aren't too familiar with, but I think by the, uh, you know, middle of the season, by the end of the season, Oklahoma fans certainly will be familiar with those guys because they're going to get a lot of snaps and a lot of opportunity and then you win you get into a secondary that just flat out they're they're more talented than they've played over the last couple of years and you know it sounds like key lawrence and billy bowman are going to be the uh, the safeties woody washington dj graham probably going to be two of your starting cornerbacks and then you start working through the depth area of who are these guys going to be that are that back up and they're guys that have played a whole lot down there and, you know, I, the nickelback position for me is probably one of the more emerging, like interesting storylines, just because it's a guy that in Justin Harrington, who is six, three, he was the number one Juco coming out of, uh, out of uh, a Juco out in uh, Utah, extremely talented, entered the transfer portal and they were able to get him back. He's technically a walk on right now. But, you know, I think that the way that he's playing right now and just his versatility, uh, it should be really exciting for Oklahoma fans. If the light comes on for him, he's a guy that could end up getting drafted. And to say that, knowing where Justin Harrington's been over the last, you know, six, seven, eight months, it's kind of fascinating to me. Like, that's a, that's a super fun story, uh, kind of a redemption story, if you will, when, you know, he'd be on scholarship at a lot of other places. He might be the hottest name from an outsider's perspective. I keep hearing Justin Harrington, Justin Harrington, like outside of the, the He's obvious just a freak. Play. I mean, six, three, two twenty. They don't, those are, those are the guys that you go and you pay people for. Like those are what the bag men are looking for in the sec and to kind of have them fall back in your lap again. Uh, it's such a big win. Yeah. Well, one, one thing I want to ask you about, you were talking about the importance of a nucleus. I, you said the secondary didn't play up to its. St- I I look at that list of players just on the surface. DJ Graham, Woody Washington, Key Lawrence, and Billy Bowman. I think every secondary in the Big Twelve would love a list of players like that. So does does Brent unlock that? You think with them? Do do they do what you think they should? Because I I I love them on paper, but what we've seen over the past couple of years, as you said, um, hasn't been what you would expect. No. And, and like for me to sit here and say that, like, I think like I think Woody Washington could end up being an all big 12 guy, yeah. like straight up. He, he should be an all big 12 guy. I think he would have been voted a preseason all big 12 guy had he not gone through injuries last year and just never really got his foot underneath him. Mm-hmm. That's a guy I can go vouch for. You know what you're going to get out of him. That was a big win in recruiting coming out of Tennessee. He's a four star guy. He's a really good player. Everybody else, though is like i'm cautiously optimistic i think that's the best way to say it billy bowman got put into an awful situation a year ago uh bumping back in between cornerback and nickel and safety and i just think his head was spinning comes from a great football program though i think that uh he could end up being really really good brent said today uh he you know if he had to single anybody out billy bowman's playing just about as good as anybody right now that's exciting uh key lawrence same kind of deal as Eric Gray coming in from Tennessee. He was part of that, that three guys. And one game Morris is another offensive tackle that I just completely didn't talk about. You he pulled a Brent. Be, I think he's going to, I did. I was shitting on him. And then I did the same thing that he did. He's a guy that, uh, you know, should be starting when it's all said and done back to the defensive side. Key Lawrence, 
really, really good safety. I know, I just don't know. Like, there's so many questions about like what happened to, with OU defensively over the last couple of years. It's just like, why is this guy not playing? Like, why is Perrion Winfrey not on the field on the most important downs of the game? Uh, so, like, I'm cautiously optimistic. Like, they think they're they. It sounds like they're having really good camps. But I've sat through press conferences in August before where they list off all these guys that they feel like are going to have really good years. And all of a sudden you look up in the middle of the fourth quarter and, you know, like Kansas is throwing for, you know, 350 yards against them. So, um, you know, if nothing else, I think that there's just like this, this deep breath of like calmness almost within the secondary right now that hasn't been there maybe in a couple of years. And I think that that, offers reason to think that you know okay like they're headed in the right direction they're saying all the right things and you know there there's two other guys connie walker from louisville is a cornerback that physically that's what you want like six two six one and a half uh 200 pounds that's that's exactly what you want that's what everybody looks for um you know what what kind of opportunity does he get uh cj colden same thing Guy, he looks the part. He's been a three-year starter at Wyoming. He comes in with a ton of experience. What's he going to actually give you on a Saturday? And then Trey Morrison's kind of the same deal. Uh, Brent Venables coached against him the last three years when he was at North Carolina. Three-year starter, played all three positions in the secondary. You kind of know what you're going to get from him. But what's going to happen when the lights come on uh, on Saturdays in Norman or wherever throughout the Big 12? So, they have a lot of experience back there. There's really no excuse for them not to be better than what they were. But, you know, I think perspective is everything because what they have been has, you know, statistically, I'm not trying to shit on guys, has been some of the worst defenses and some of the worst secondaries in the country. And, and Eddie, to that point, and you bringing up the three transfers that come in at corner, I, I know Morrison can play kind of anywhere, but – are, are these guys that Brent wants to bring in to boost the depth or is he bringing these guys into – to, to the guys that are already there, be like, hey, these guys are coming for your starting role. Like, we think these guys are good enough to play, so you're going to need to play better. Is it kind of a little bit of that as well? Yeah, I thought a little bit of everything. Like, I, I think that they, when they went out, and you look at all 10 guys that they brought in and through the transport portal, I think seven of them were captains at their previous school. So you're obviously going to get some leadership. You're obviously going to get some guys that have been around the block, know how to kind of handle themselves in the situation that they're coming into. And yeah, it's like, I, I think that like the, the two like kind of buzzwords coming out of camp, and I'm sure that it's not exclusive to Norman, Oklahoma by any means, but <laughs> competition and culture, like the competition in daily and practice is going to breed the culture that you want to build your program, your uh, program on and the foundation that you want to build this thing on. So, uh, you know, I, I, I think that it's kind of all of the above Dustin. I think that it's, it's one of those things that they went out, they were very specific in the guys that they went out. Uh, to try to bring in through the transfer portal. And I think that you're kind of seeing that with uh, with what the depth chart will be when it comes out, whenever that may be. Yeah. And Eddie, to kind of wrap up the defense, you know, the linebacker position. Yeah. Brent Venables asked his linebackers to do a lot. Never going to be good enough for Brent. <laughs> That's like the one, like the one thing it's like, he was talking about him today. And it's like, I, you know, you hear people talking about like scrimmage and they think that everything's kind of, out they, uh, and they look good and you hear brent talk about him it's like it just it, it was awful and it's like oh god what, what where are we talking about yeah i feel like you gotta kind of take that with a grain of salt when he's talking about him like yeah, you I can't said, be trusted. Such, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but lo losing asamoa nick benito you know who's kind of that defensive end linebacker hybrid we know about deshaun white you talked about statesman who who else or stutzman who else is there yeah, and, you know, Deshaun White is kind of a guy that just never really has gotten uh, – he's, he's a 2-3-year he's a starter, and everybody just kind of rolls their eyes when you talk about him coming back. Uh, he's obviously going to get a little bit more opportunity now that Ted Roof – or, I mean, uh, that TD Roof is going to be out for the season. Uh, you know, if there was anybody that I was just going to just circle as, like, a future All-American on this team or a possibility or has the talent to be a, a future All-American, I think it starts with Danny Stutzman. Uh, there's just something that is there. Like I, I, you talk to people within the program that were there at the same time as Teddy Lehman. I think that he's kind of, of that ilk, a little bit crazy, uh, you know, just a true football player. Uh, you know, that, that there's an interesting name that is kind of 
emerged and we're going to see how much of an opportunity he gets here over the next couple of weeks and, you know, leading up to the, the opener, but kid named Jake McCoy, he's from Edmond North and played a lot of special teams last year. Um, it sounds like he led the team in tackles in the scrimmage on Saturday. Now, what does that mean? They had a lot of guys out. Uh, they were, they were sitting a bunch of guys, obviously in this defense, the linebacker is going to rack up a bunch of tackles, but he's talented. He's athletic. Uh, he, he has the look of a, of a really good linebacker, but you know, I don't, don't really know what that really necessarily means. Uh, you know, Clayton Smith is kind of like an outside linebacker edge guy. That was a former five-star kid from Texarkana uh, that they feel like is really coming on. Really, the light's starting to, to uh, turn on for him. Um, so he's kind of he's one of those guys that I think is, uh, you know, when you talk about like breakout performer on this defense, he could kind of fit that, fit that, fit that role. Uh, but, you know, I, it, the, the linebacker position, it's kind of good and bad. It's like, you know the names. It's just going to be what can you really get out of those guys? Like, what kind of jump is David Awegbu going to make? What kind of jump is uh, Danny Sussman going to make? What kind of jump is uh, Deshaun White going to make? And if they make the jump that I think a lot of people feel like is almost kind of just a given under the coaching of Brent Venables and Ted Roof, then, you know, I, I think that that's reason for the, for the cautious optimism and what this defense could be. What's the scoop on Jaron Canick? He's a name that I was yeah. curious to see if you were going to bring. For sure. Up. For sure. The thing with Jaron, and like I think that like when you're talking about the future on down the road, and he's going to have every opportunity. Him, Kobe McKenzie, uh, uh, Kip Lewis, the kid from Carthage. That is, I mean, from a just a trio standpoint of uh, freshman linebackers. I think it's really exciting if you're an Oklahoma fan thinking what those guys could be in two, three years. Like they could end up being like that's that's kind of knowing what the, if that could be the foundation of the basis of what they're going to take into the sec deal, like completely happy with that. I think Brent Venables would be completely happy with that. Uh, it, it, it's really exciting. I just don't know like what, how Jaron fits into that system immediately. I think he's ready physically, but mentally as, as tough as Brent is and what we know Brent to be, on his linebackers and on that defense. Uh, you know, I think when it's all said and done, they hope that he kind of fits into kind of that Isaiah Simmons role with what they did at Clemson with him, whether it be kind of that drop down safety, playing in the box a little bit, just kind of a, a do it all, like a, a just a true go, go chase the football and tackle the guy. Uh, but, you know, I'm optimistic about what he could be this year. I, I really don't know. Like, I, that's one of those names that, like, I think Oklahoma fans would love for him to be uh, somebody that plays a lot as a freshman. But is that a good thing if he's playing as a freshman, if that makes sense? Does that mean that somebody else hasn't been able to take care of that role? We, we've had the same conversation about Casey Collier at right tackle yeah. for Oklahoma State. So, um, no, I, I'm only curious because he's kind of that – you know, back when he just signed on, everybody was fired up about him. Sure. And then, you know, I didn't feel like the conversation died around him, but he's one that I've had. I've kept tabs on. He's from Hayes. I, I'm, yep. a Can I'm a Kansas guy myself. For so sure. uh, I'm familiar. They, they, they got some big boys up there. So I was, I was going to shit. I was going to shit on Kansas high school football and say, I just don't know if he's, he's like truly ready. They're all too busy farming. Uh, honestly, I won't, like say that. I won't say that. <laughs> we'll cut that. We'll cut that. His, yeah. his high school film is unbelievable, though. It's like, I mean, when they were able to flip him, like there was there was so much concern there uh, right when Brent took the job that like he wasn't going to go after him uh, because of his rule. He didn't want to go after the Clemson kids that were mm -hmm. committed to Clemson. And I think it basically came down to like Jaron and his mom talking to Brent and like, we're not going to enroll at Clemson. Like we're coming to OU and we're going to try to walk on whether you like it or not. And obviously like he wasn't that's awesome home, but that's it's a great story i mean eddie you talk for a living so, and we've taken enough of your time so no we'll, you're good man we'll, we'll we didn't even talk you, about yeah. the most the most important position group and i'm not kidding is kicker. I, saw, I knew you were gonna bring i'm not up. kidding like it's it's not important until you miss a 34 yarder and it's world war three on ou twitter you know <laughs> they have one of the best punters in the country yeah. michael turk but uh, kicker's going to be really interesting. I think it, it, it might end up being the kid from, from McGinnis, uh, the, uh, the uh, Zach Schmidt kid. So we'll see. Eddie, I think you're in the mix. <laughs> Two. 
I, I, it's going to be it's going to be the Zach Schmidt kid or a kid from Texas named Gavin Marshall. And it sounds like they're, you know, in basically a little bit of a competition. I think that uh, the Schmidt kid has a little bit stronger legs. So we'll see. We're anti-special teams on this podcast. Oh, no. Well, I'm sorry. Just cut that then. Cut that. (laughs) We'll we'll preview them uh, like week four after we've had enough to digest. (laughs) No, And Eddie, you're exactly right. I feel like people don't think about it until they step on. And it's like, who's Ben Grogan? I mean, I know. And then he misses one. And it's like, oh, dear. Yeah. Great. Great call. Well, OSU, like, I don't don't know. Maybe I'm speaking out of turn, but it seems like they've been so solid. Like, even going back to, um, oh, what's the... uh, Kid's name from uh, they kicked to Dallas for like fifty years. Uh, Dan Bailey, Quinn like, Sharp, yeah, like I Dan mean, Bailey, great like, kickers. All those guys were just so automatic. It seemed like. Uh, I mean, then, even even last year, Alex Hale goes down and Tanner Brown comes in, and he's pretty awesome as well. Yeah. Like he he may take the starting job over from Hale. It's it's never important until uh, you get into a situation where, like, when you run a kid out with a forty yarder, it's like your knees are shaking because you don't know if he's going to make it. Like I've, and, and Burkich was like, he, he probably has the strongest leg in the history of Oklahoma football out of any kicker, but you throw him out there for like a 27 yard field goal. It's like, is he going to shank this <laughs> 60 yarder deal? He's going to make it. He's good. Yeah. Can we take a couple of delays a game right here. Take yeah. No kidding. Deeper. Right. Eddie, I don't even envy your mentions in a moment like that. I feel like people just come to you to talk about that. Like, like he bombs a 60 yarder, shanks a 27. And then there's all talk of kicking burritos in your mentions just because like, I don't envy that. Dude. He literally, after he kicked that uh, burrito during the uh, (laughs) uh, bye week it's like he lost his mojo and I have no idea. Like he just got cut by the Packers. He has a strong enough leg where he'll Mm. get another opportunity, but uh, yeah, burritos might be banned in Norman. <laughs> well, again, Eddie, we appreciate you coming anytime, on. Guys, and taking anytime, guys, anytime. I've always, always good to uh, catch up with you guys. Yeah, well, before you go, we've, we we don't let any guest out of here on these conference previews without telling us how year one of Brent Venables goes. I mean, give us a give us a prediction. And, and we'll preface this by saying our listeners won't, like, use this as ammunition later in the year. I will. Sure. We've disclaimed. Sure. Yeah, we will. That's different. Uh, but our yeah. listeners will not. So, yeah, like I, I think like the schedule kind of breaks down with like almost three different swing games. Maybe, maybe you could maybe even add in a fourth. Are you guys bought in on Kansas State? I'm I, I was in and now I'm out. Really? Yeah. Like I, I, I love climbing. I think he's a really good football coach. I just I don't know, man. Like. I don't know. Nebraska is obviously going to be really interesting just because it's the first road game. Uh, you, you're going to be walking into what should be a little bit of a bear trap. It's going to be built up into Scott Frost's homecoming uh, or not homecoming, but like biggest game in, in recent memory that could get them back on the map. If they go into Dublin and win uh, in a week and a half time uh, against Northwestern. And then they have two cupcakes before Oklahoma. So, you know, I, it's just fascinating just because it's going to be the first time this team's gone on the road. Uh, I think that, you know, it's going to be somewhat of a test just because I think Nebraska should be a good football team this year. It's a game you should, you're going to be favored to win. It's a game that Oklahoma Shields should go take care of business and win. Uh, Then you have that quick turnaround with Kansas State back in Norman. Texas is obviously Texas. TCU is really, really interesting just because it seems like OU never plays well down at Damon Carter. Um, You know, I, 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 somewhat kind of like spike dykes just as far as the way that or not spike dykes sunny dykes um i was thinking about his dad for a second uh just just as far as like the way that he runs a program i think he's a really cool dude i met him down at uh uh for uh big 12 media days he's a big uh he's a big fan of horns up for peace so i i don't know he maybe just bought me oh he won me over uh with with bs uh and then you know the, the two back-end schedules, like Baylor and Oklahoma State, I think are, you know, super, super interesting. Luckily, Oklahoma gets both of those in Norman. Um, and, you know, I, it, 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 it's fascinating to sit here and you look at Oklahoma's schedule and you, you know, think about, like, the national perspective of what this expected, quote-unquote, drop-off should be. It's hard for me not to get to, you know, 10-2 and two if things go really, really right, 11-1, and one, uh, you know, maybe – bottom floor nine and three eight and four which you know pray for me if that happens it will be the end of the world if you were to go eight and four so uh you know 
the the thing that they've kind of the mantra around there has been they're trying to go from good to great. And as disappointing as it was last year, at the end of the day, they did go 11 and two somehow, some way with everything that was going on, whether it be the toxicity in the locker room, uh, the Lincoln Riley stuff, you know, the questions at quarterback, uh, you know, I think that this program is much cleaner today than it was maybe at the end of December. And, you know, I, I, for those reasons, I feel like they should be in really good shape. They put together a really good staff under Brent, uh, Todd Bates, Miguel Chavis have been really good on the defensive line. Uh, you know, Jay Valai has been really good at the cornerback position and you go from Lincoln Riley to, as you guys said earlier, to Jeff Levy, who has run really, really good, uh, offenses, whether it be at central Florida or, uh, old miss. So, you know, gun to my head, I'd probably say 10 and two. I think that they probably stumble somewhere on the road, whether it be a TCU, uh, God forbid it happened in Lincoln. I don't think I'm prepared to handle that, uh, disaster that early in the season, but, uh, you know, it's going to be fun to see how they handle adversity. And, you know, I, the way that Oklahoma, uh, you know, the way that the program is the way that the conference is right now, if you are playing for a big 12 title, you should be in contention to go play for a college football playoff. I don't know about when it, I don't think that this program is ready to win a national championship quite yet, but it seems like they're headed in the right direction. Maybe that's a little bit of hope. Maybe that's a little bit of uh, just being optimistic with the new staff in place. Uh, but you know, it, it is true that, you know, when you talk to people within the program, there were certain aspects that had slipped and it feels like that's finally coming back to what it should be. So I guess a long-winded way of saying, I'd, I'd say 11 and two or 10 and three. I mean, that's, yeah, that's I mean a, yeah, go ahead, Dustin. I was just going to say, Eddie, it kind of goes back to what you said at the very beginning of the podcast. You know, the national perspective is that OU's losing all these guys, but you have to remember that OU has more guys and they have guys who have underperformed. So I just don't think there's a way you can write them off, you know, like you said, like an eight and four season because they have so much talent on the roster. They they lost all these guys and they're unanimous top 10 in the coaches pulling the A people. It's like, I mean, it kind of is what it is. And, you know, I, don't get me started on preseason polls. That's another topic for another day. I think people just vote just to vote. And I'm sure that they who, get a little gave bit Texas of Texas that one, that vote in the coaches Je- poll. Uh, wasn't it Jeff trailer UTSA, I think is what is I heard. Yeah. No, I, Jeff trailer told, I, uh, thank God. God love him. Kirk Bowles. He cleared it up for us. I don't think that it was Jeff trailer. Oh, it wasn't. It okay. wasn't him. Uh, okay. It's kind of one of those, like, why did he ask that? Who cares? But at the same time, I don't know. Like you guys are right though. It's like, OU's they're still going to be really good. They have a lot of talent down there. And, you know, I think to a man, you ask former players and I don't know if this is just, you know, kind of the venom that they had for Lincoln Riley, but they feel like they're in a better position than they were a year ago. And, you know, I think that there's a lot of like boxes that still need to be checked. Uh, But, you know, up until now, up until September, uh, it's kind of been a honeymoon outside of having to fire a coach because of maybe some racial issues inside the locker room, but that's for another day. Thanks for that, Eddie. We, he Did may we, be uh, no problem. Right now. <laughs> no problem. I'm sure. Oh, I'm sure that you guys haven't heard of that. That that's for another podcast someday. We were we were gonna leave it off. I, it feels like Eddie. We might have just talked you into OU. Yeah, I'm I'm I'm, I'm picking him to win the national title now. <laughs> No, I, I, I don't know if I can go there quite yet, but I think that they should be really good. Like, I don't know. It's like you look at Oklahoma State's schedule. It's like, and I, I don't know. Maybe I just fall into this trap where I don't give enough teams like a Baylor respect or a Kansas State respect. Uh, but, and then, you know, obviously Texas and who the hell knows what they're going to be. But who's going to beat OU and OSU? Yeah. Like, seriously, like who? who What's are they, your OSU who, prediction? I don't know. Probably somewhere around the same thing. Like, I mean, it's kind of like you guys. I, I, I think I, if you could tell me what you're going to get out of Spencer Sanders, I could probably have a little bit of a better idea. I do think that, like, just from the outside looking in and what's happening in Stillwater, uh, it, to a certain extent, I'm fascinated to see what Derek Mason is because I, I had so much respect for Jim Knowles. I had so much respect for especially that back end of talent. Uh, you know, in the secondary, Malcolm Rodriguez, you knew what you were going to get. Probably one of the more underrated guys, you know, I, 
it's a travesty. It still is a travesty that he wasn't a Buckus finalist. But like they had so many guys on that defense a year ago. And I'm I'm not telling you guys anything you don't know, that it just felt like they knew exactly where they needed to be at the very moment they needed to be there, and they were just gonna make the play. And how do you measure that as opposed to what Derek Mason's going to be. So I like, I have some questions on Oklahoma state defensively, but a lot of those questions are kind of alleviated because they're going to be so good up front. Yeah. I mean, I, I look around, I, I have talked myself into a bedlam big 12 title game. I look at, we Baylor's- deserve that one time, like of all these years that they brought the big 12 back, give it to us one time in yeah. Arlington and move and this- it to Taft stadium. <laughs> <laughs> How good would that be? Bring it to Midtown, baby. No, I, I love what you're saying. And I look at, I mean, Baylor opens up their conference schedule at Iowa State and Oklahoma State at home, and they have a game against BYU right before that. I think they could set up to disappoint, and then Texas is a total wild card, and that really leaves you with really two or three options there. So I, I'm with you. I think Oklahoma 10-2, and 11-2. Um, one of those types of years for both of these squads makes a ton of sense to me. So, yeah, it, uh, you know, it, I hope that they have really good seasons. Like we deserve that before this thing truly gets over. And it would have been like last year was so weird too, because like if Caleb Williams scores and oh my gosh. say they, or say Eric Gray doesn't drop the punt uh, when they're up 17 or 14 or whatever it was. Like I, we've talked to USC people, Ryan Abraham's a really good dude, runs the 24 seven side out there. He said multiple times, like USC was ready to move on the next week. And just like wondering like how that would have gone. I think you lose Marvin Mims, you lose Theo Weiss. I think that like there would have been a, I don't know about like mass exodus out of the Oklahoma program, but there were some, there were some really like, messed up things happening i believe in that locker room towards the end of the last year and it's just like the whole thing was weird like i i think that like it was almost a little bit of healing the way that like everything went when brent returned and i don't know it's just it, it it's been super super weird well, Eddie, we appreciate you being on. We'd love to run into you later this season, and we'd love to have you back on before uh, Oklahoma and Oklahoma State kick it off here later this year. But thanks again for giving us your time, and uh, yeah, best of luck to you this year. We'll see you around. Absolutely, soon. guys. Anytime, anytime, anytime during the uh, the season, we'd love to uh, catch up with you guys again. Yeah, Sounds Eddie, good. you gonna uh, you you got anything you got anything you want to plug real quick? Yeah, good question. I mean, if yeah, if you want to if you want to check out the merchandise uh, over at the Sooner Scoop Store. Uh, dot com. We got. We're trying to make Lindsay Street great again. I'm sure that Oklahoma State fans don't know like really what that means, but it'd be like, like taking out. I don't know. Like, where what is it? Just the big parking lot up there for the tailgating scene. I have it. It's it's um. Oh God, it's Cordell Hall. Is basically okay. the Lindsay, Hall. Yeah, like it's that, basically that. the Lindsay Street of Norman. Like right. we tailgated right there, and they bulls bulldozed it down. It was basically tearing down paradise to put up a parking lot. That's what they did. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And we're trying to bring that back. I don't think it'll probably ever happen. I might have to pipe bomb the uh, honors college over there to uh, get that building. I think that that's the thing. And that's a joke, folks. Legally, that's a joke. But we're going to uh, leave that in, but we should cut it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, I said it's a joke now, so it is a joke. So I'm, I'm we're covered there. Uh, but making Lindsay Street great again. We dropped the shirts uh, Monday night. And we got some other stuff coming uh, in the uh, the Eddie collection merchandise line. But uh, you know, Oklahoma football, Oklahoma recruiting, baseball, football, basketball, all that kind of stuff over at Soonerscoop.com. And you can always catch uh well, I guess there's only a couple left of the hot bingo nights at the Jones Assembly, huh? There's only yeah, like we one got one more left. one more Thursday, and then we're actually I, I would plug this. Uh coming up on the 26th, uh week from Friday, uh, we're doing a thing with cleats for kids so people can bring out all their lightly used sports equipment. Uh, out to the Jones Assembly, and we're going to do a Friday night kind of end of the summer uh, bingo night. So it should be a oh, lot of fun. Awesome. Me and Brad have a really fun time doing that, and it's kind of the final send-off before uh, it really gets busy for both of us with him coaching Heritage Hall, and then obviously with all the shenanigans I'm up to over on the football side of things. Two Brett Bogert shout-outs on this podcast. Yeah. Is two more than we've ever I had, get paid. I, I like get it. paid by him. You know how those private schools go. <laughs> Leads for Kids is a uh, friend of the podcast, by the way. So nice Beautiful. plug there. We, we love them. So great people, great yeah. people. 
no doubt. Well, thanks, Eddie. We appreciate you. We'll see you soon. Thanks, man. Check out Homefield Apparel's new Oklahoma State line. I don't know if you have. I know Dustin and I both are rocking the new Homefield Apparel shirts that have just gone live on their website at homefieldapparel.com. I mean, the Curse of Cowboys across the chest is absolutely gorgeous. I don't know if you guys have seen the Pistol Patty t-shirt, but it is great as well. And Homefield Apparel is doing phenomenal stuff, even outside of Oklahoma State sports. If you go on their website right now, you can see potential future Big 12 members, Colorado, with a throwback t-shirt on their website. I'm just a big fan of Homefield stuff, and the quality is unbelievable. So check them out at homefieldapparel.com. And when you use our promo code FEELS12, you actually will get a discount. That's right. Feels 12. We'll get you 15% off your first order when you use our promo code feels 12 at homefieldapparel.com. Check them out right now and tell them that the feels like 45 podcast. Engine.